Hi and welcome to Boom, it's on the blockchain. My name is uh, Alistair Caithness. It is currently 10 a.m. in San Diego. It is 12 in Texas and it is 6 o'clock over in Inverness in Scotland. So today we've got an exciting show. I'm going to bring in our co-host today, Garrett. How are you, Garrett? I'm doing good. How are you today, Alistair? Yeah, good. Thanks, Garrett. Good. And then basically the other guest who we're bringing in today is Ron Costa. So I'll just bring you in straight away, Ron. Hi, Ron. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to today's show. Perfect, perfect. So, so we'll just crack things off then. So, so Ron's been involved in the the crowdfunding space, and uh, it's developed. He's now involved in tokenization, blockchain. He's been running a successful podcast out of Las Vegas now for a number of years. Ron, so just give a bit of background about yourself. Yeah, thanks, uh, Alistair. I, I'm originally from New York. I moved out to Vegas about maybe 15 years ago. Love it out here. It's great. And I started getting into the commercial real estate world here in Las Vegas. Then all of a sudden, we found out about the Jobs Act and switched our focus over to crowdfunding, started a crowdfunding company, got into that a little bit. And then somebody told me about podcasting, and I kind of looked into that, and I really, really started to enjoy that. So we started up a, a, a crowdfunding podcast called Mappable USA, and we interviewed people who are in the crowdfunding space, both as investors and as uh, issuers and people involved. And and even that has just exploded into technology and blockchain. And I believe that's how we met you, Alistair. We had you on a couple of times. Uh, But the show is fun to produce and it's really informative. And I think that the whole crowdfunding uh, universe basically is still in its infancy and we're gonna see a lot of movement, especially in the tech end of it. Yeah, so, so just give a bit of background in terms of when did you run your first podcast then? We did our first show about two years ago, um, and uh, we started off doing, again, just uh, basically interviewing issuers on that. And it was a whole new thing. You know, we had to learn podcasting. We had to learn how to edit and do all the show notes and this and that. And uh, I started doing this with a few other people. And then uh, I I met uh, uh, Vicki Hutchmala, who's been doing the co-hosting ever since. She didn't do the first couple of shows, but she's done the shows afterwards. And now fast forward a couple of years and we have, uh, boy, I think we may have about 200 episodes now uh, at this point. So um, it's been it's been quite successful and it's been fun. And we get to meet a lot of people in the industry who uh, know a lot of a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so just give a bit of background to some of the, the guests you've you've had on there. So I know you've had on Darren Marble before. He was key in terms of the the very first crowdfunding project that went out there under reggae. Exactly. Darren, Darren Marble is a visionary in the crowdfunding space. Uh, we had him on the show and he was doing a company called Crowdfund X. And he since moved on to a, a, a company called Issuance, which does a lot of uh, the, the, the uh, uh, crowdfunding portal work. And now he's got this show called Going Public, which uh, is streamable on Entrepreneur. We interviewed him on that show before it even went, went live. So Darren Marvel's been a great guest on that show. We've interviewed people like Mark Lenowitz, who does uh, the uh, upstream platform. They're doing NFTs. They're doing all kinds of great stuff on, on the blockchain. They're doing tokenization on the blockchain. We've interviewed real estate people such as Neil Bauer, who does uh, real estate syndication and a couple other interesting projects. We've got a guy out in who's doing uh, um, autonomous robots, uh, William Lee. We did, we did his uh, podcast. 
it just goes on. And of course, Alistair, we've had you on a number of times too. So uh, we, we, we really uh, have been very lucky with the guests we've had on the show. And they're all CEOs and they're all people who uh, are decision makers, basically. Yeah. So, so what have, uh, in terms of you developing your type of projects, you know, what have you seen change in the market space since you've been involved in it? I think it's more than two years, so I think it may be three or four years, is it not, since you've been doing the podcast? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the big change, basically, is it's all education. People look at this crowdfunding space, and, uh, you know, it's, it's changed a lot since it first started, even with the Jobs Act. Uh, some people are scared about it. They don't understand it well. Uh, they don't understand the rules involved in it. Uh, there's a lot of issue, uh, issues in terms of, of raising money and you know, throwing the SEC. And now with blockchain, too, blockchain is being used as a crowdfunding device, too. And it's, it's not as simple as just like raising money. You have to worry about all kinds of things uh, and, and specifically whether or not these are securities or not. And that's something that people don't want to address. They don't want to address that issue that, well, maybe we have to worry about securities uh, violations on, on, these, on these raises, too, especially in the blockchain world, because tokenization is so new. And, and, and Alistair, the tokenization part of it has really been the big change on it because nobody thought to do this even, you know, a year ago. And, and now the technology is out there on the blockchain. People look at it and, and, again, it makes a whole lot of sense theoretically, but the learning curve is there. There's, there's the adoption aspect of it that, that's, that's unfortunately a little slow. So you got to get out there with the info. You got to, you know, teach people what it's all about get rid of that fear factor a little bit and it all comes through education and that's why you need podcasts like this and others because it shows people you know well i gotta learn this stuff and uh, maybe this is something that we should be looking into especially from a real estate perspective too by the way yeah so what what are your thoughts on it uh Garrett? yeah it's uh <clears throat> you know blockchain is a very interesting space i think um to what ron was saying i think that um and, you know, it's, it's been kind of the story for a long time now. I, I think that the U.S. is at a point where we ha kind of have to make a decision on, um, you know, how the regulation is going to look for blockchain and cryptocurrency, because it is inherently, I think, different from anything that's come in the past. Uh, a lot of people have opted to just leave the United States. I mean, simply, um, you know, there, there is a whole world of different laws and regulations that are probably a little bit more accommodating el salvador is probably a great example um you know and you know i, I get where um you know some of these things could maybe they're trying to bunch them in with older securities laws or whatever but you know it scares a lot of people and a lot of people just leave i mean i, I remember back you know almost 10 years ago roger veer renounced his citizenship and just left he just went to japan and, um, you know, if you look at the case of like uh, Sam Bankman Fried, I mean, that guy, <laughs> he just left. I mean, he went to Hong Kong and now he's in the Bahamas. I mean, it's like, you know, it, he's donating, you know, hand over fist and cash to Biden too to, you know, keep his nose clean. But it's it's interesting, you know, just how different people choose to handle it. But um, I would really hope that, you know, there is some sort of framework that eventually comes for the U.S. to help uh you know, make us the premium in the world for doing this type of stuff. I don't know if it will be, you know, like if it will be crowdfunding. I don't know if there will be another wave of maybe regulated ICOs in the future. That's something that kind of died out after 2017. But we'll see. Yeah. 
I think for people to understand as well that, you know, when the Reg A started coming along, so that was a change in the Jobs Act that essentially allowed non-accredited investors to invest in startups. So that sort of opened the market space. You know, we spoke about Darren Marble earlier. He did the first few that were in the market space. He did this sort of, his company was at like a marketing company that promoted the raise. So he wasn't, he wasn't actually raising the money himself. He actually right. was, his company promoted each raise. So he took them in. So he was seen as the sort of leader in the space. I saw him in 2017. Uh, yeah, 2017 in um, San Diego. So it was Sandy uh, Startup Week. So it was San Diego Startup Week. It was a presentation about Reg A. He was speaking about this. This allowing non-accredited investors to invest in startups for the first time. So, so up until that point, the only people who could invest were essentially people who uh, were accredited investors, high net worth investors. So what this did is it allowed non-accredited to buy into startups for the first time. So that sort of opened up the market space. But then the, the problem was that, uh, now I've done two rounds of Reg A, we've raised capital to invest in our company, we've bought into oil interests into that. But the problem really being is that the, uh, the liquidity for the investors was really through the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. So it was a big gap from raising capital in order to getting listed onto to these two exchanges. So, you know, ultimately that's our goal of our company, still be the long-term goal of the company and a long-term goal of any company that gets involved well, in this. Yeah, well, Alistair, you just nailed it with the liquidity aspect of it because that's really the whole thing that people are concerned about. If you get into a deal and you can't get out of it, then what if you need money, right? And I think that's one of the, the things that people look towards blockchain because tokenization allows you to do that. They're theoretically, on a secondary market, you can get up there, you can put your your um, your crypto on there, your tokens, and sell them when you need when you need to sell them. And I, I think a lot of these markets out there that, that are, are developing this are on the right track. The problem is, and you mentioned this earlier, is that it's not really open to uh, to everybody. Like these these cryptocurrencies, if you're in the U.S., you can't invest in them. A lot of these platforms, it's just not it's not ready right now. And I can see why people may want to go uh, overseas. Uh, it'll be because of that. People can can list their pro their their projects on these exchanges, but it, it's not a it's not a global thing yet because the U.S. can't get involved in it at, at this point right now, uh, at least on a consistent basis. So when that problem is solved, I think you're going to see even more interest in tokenization, um, uh, uh, which is one of the reasons why. Again, I I really am surprised that it's taking this long to adopt. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, coming back, I think what's happened really at the turn of the year. So there's the, there was the ability to create tokens, but the liquidity wasn't there. So you had a lot of token creation companies. It was very expensive to make tokens. But now, because the first few regulated token exchanges have gone live. So so if you think of companies be able to, you know, T0, but really Securitize is sort of leading the way with them as well. So, and then there's North Capital, the Alto Markets, and that's really the Ford in America now that people are aware of. Now, there's not great liquidity onto these exchanges right now, but now they've got the ability for tokens to go on there. So, you know, with our company, we're looking to listen to one of these token exchanges quite shortly uh, to provide liquidity for the investors working through. But then, you know, the, the collapse of the crypto market in the last few months. So, what you've seen is because of COVID and everything else that's come out the back of this, it's, you know, the, the market's moving up and down. And then, uh, you know, 
you, if you're involved in any sort of blockchain crypto tokenization company like now, yeah, some can be the perception they're doing well is, but because of the uh, capital market problems right now, and that's affecting crypto as much as it's affecting everyone else. We spoke about it last week. You know, there, there's obviously dangers of listing on these exchanges. It's becoming very difficult to list. You know, there's uh, the market makers aren't finding the, the additional capital out there for companies as well right now. So, you know, there's multiple problems that's slowing up the progress of what it is. But what I think is going to happen is that once we come out the back, of this recession, well, it's going to go into recession, guys. But once we start coming out the back of it, this this portals for us to tokenize assets is going to be massive because NFTs is basically sort of created this system. So it's like what you're going to find is that. But the problem is, as Garrett said, is you know which ones are securities, which ones are utility tokens. The SEC are going to go after a lot of these cryptos right now, and they're going to say, well you know, you're not a cryptocurrency. You're not a utility token. You're actually a security. You should actually be registered as a security token. And because you're a security token, you can't be trying, you know, trading onto these other exchanges that are unregulated. We want you to start to go through our regulated exchanges to the yeah. point that these other smaller exchanges are going to come out. And, you know, obviously some will grow faster than others, but it, until like the NASDAQ runs there, you know, STO, you know, ATS, alternative trading system. That's when it'll become total mainstream. And, and you know, it's, it's probably not, it's not like NASDAQ doesn't have the technology as a technology company to run an ATS. It'll be the timing in the market space that they want to do it. But once they start to do that, you'll just see mass adoption into these types of tokens. Because to me, that's where the future is. Because it's just, it's right at the absolute infancy. You know, right now, I think you'll be lucky if there's 20 tokens trading in America, you know? So, and I think there's maybe 200 tokens right now raising capital in America. So, you know, you're that sort of slow volume coming in, but once it starts to increase and people start to understand it, and then people understand that they can own these tokens and own these assets. And I think for a lot of people out there is, you know, these tokens will give them distributions, which is different from a cryptocurrency because cryptocurrencies essentially are just going to move up and down based on the, the price of the crypto, whereby these are actually assets or asset-backed tokens. And from an oil and gas perspective is, as the tokens grow and provide distributions, it, you know, it starts to solve problems. So if we look at the uh, real estate market space, because to me, real estate sort of leading the way in terms of the token market for people to understand it. So so give a bit of background, Ron, in terms of what you think of real estate and tokens and why it's uh, the future for a lot of these. Well, again, I think that the tokenization of real estate is going to be huge in the future, mainly for the reason that you just mentioned. Uh, right now, if developers are looking to raise money for a project, they can always go there the traditional rounds of like raising money from their investors and that kind of thing, you know, rank DVs, et cetera. But when you talk about tokenization, you're reaching a whole bunch of different uh, markets, a larger market. Uh, you can still get the same end game of raising money. But again, the key is the, the liquidity portion of this is great because investors have a, a, a way, a route to get their money back if they, if they need it. But what's interesting about the tokenization of real estate is that tokenization includes um, these smart contracts that can do a lot of things that uh, you know you don't need humans for in terms of let's say paying dividends or you know things like that. So the the tokenization of of of, um, of real estate works for a number of reasons, mainly because of the, the smart contracts, the ability to raise money, the liquidation aspect of it, 
And and, and, and again, if you look at, at, at it from just a top level view, it, it doesn't make sense to go any other way, basically. And when you look at some of these developers, you tell them, hey, have you thought about tokenizing your project? They look at you today with like deer in the headlights. Like, what are you talking about? And, and they have to be uh, educated on, on this, this opportunity. So that's, that's what's, what's stopping this thing from exploding. And when it does explode, you're going to see every, people will be like, I can't believe I didn't know about this sooner or I didn't do it sooner. And I, I, I promise you that's going to happen. I just don't know when. <laughs> Yeah, so Gary, for people out there who are not aware of tokenization, give a bit of overview and your thoughts on it and how it will work. Yeah. yeah, I think um, that there's uh, definitely, there's been a huge opportunity. I think a couple of years ago, it was a, it was a little bit different, you know, back when the, the uh, ICO stuff was taking hold because it's, you know, the, the big hallmark of, you know, kind of what you guys are talking about here is, people being able to get their money back out and in an ICO people were sending money. They were sending Ethereum, which they could, you know, easily trade for us dollars, get their money back. They were sending that and receiving tokens that were essentially didn't have a set value at that point in time. They were being told, Oh, we're going to get it on an exchange. And that, that resulted in a lot of people, um, you know, not having the opportunity to, you know, then sell those tokens. But I think with the, advent of automated market makers and you know liquidity protocols like uniswap uh sushi swap pancake swap and stuff like that it's a lot easier to track those kind of things and it's a lot easier to you know see if something is going to be you know feasible as a you know something you're going to be able to put money into and get money right back out so yeah i think it's you know, for people to understand what how the tokenization process works is up until now, if you were buying into any sort of major asset, if you're looking at real estate assets, you're looking at oil and gas assets we're involved in, you're owning the project in percentages. So you're owning 1%, 2%, 3% of the project. The problem you've got is that, as you're saying there, you know, if you were looking for secondary liquidity with that, so you're sort of stuck into the life cycle of this project. Now, if the operator of the project or the owner of the big real estate project sells on or gets bought out, then you can get paid out from that. But ultimately, your money's locked into the life cycle of a project. And that's essentially with a lot of asset investing anyway. You know, you invest in your house, you invest it for 25 years. You invest into an oil project, you're stuck into it for 20 years. If you're through tokenization, it basically just changes how you actually hold this. So you're now holding this in a form of tokens rather than holding this in a form of percentages. And then because of these ATSs, now, now Garrett spoke about ICOs, and this was, and this is, it hasn't helped the adoption of STOs, which is security token offerings, and everyone coming from this reggae blockchain background into it. Because essentially the STOs, uh, they're going on to regulated exchanges by the SEC, whereby it's going to be run through transfer agents and broker dealers. So it's not going to be so that the same people who are running the ATSs, they have already been regulated by the SEC. 
they've already got a transfer agent, they've already got a broker dealer, they're already regulated for the markets, but now they're actually running it on a ATS, which is an alternative trading system. Up until that point, these ICO markets, there was none of that regulation at all. So it wasn't even going through transfer agents and wasn't even going through broker dealers when it was going on to these third party uh, exchanges. So that was part of the problem in the market space. And then no one had any, everything was coming in in terms of we're putting these tokens out there the market is driving up the token price and it wasn't actually backed against anything. So what you're finding now is these projects, especially into hard assets like real estate and uh, oil and gas projects, renewable energy assets, whether it's the fund and stuff like that, there's something actually backing behind it. Where the problem with the ICO market before, which was initial coin offerings, there was essentially nothing backing that. So for people to understand that and going forward is that what you're going to find that these types of tokens will be backed against something. Now, it might be a pool of assets, et cetera. And that's what, what people will be investing in. So then people can sort of understand the technology, because I think one of the problems for most of the general public out there is that they couldn't understand why this is backed against nothing. You know, so that was part of the problem is, you know, what is backing against this coin that I actually own. Now, whether this coin owns interest in well interest or own part of a real estate project, now people understand it because now they think, well, there's a physical asset behind it. And then people have to understand that using the terminology like, uh, token rather than coin, because the problem with cryptocurrency and coins is people think of cryptocurrency compared to a currency. So they get confused. So they just think, well, you know, there's only one US dollar, one euro, one UK pound. How can there be 14,000 cryptocurrencies? But a huge majority of those cryptocurrencies were actually just security tokens. And this is what the SEC are going after a lot of these cryptocurrencies for. So when people understand, well, there's more than 14,000 assets in the world. So what you're going to find is there's going to be thousands and thousands of these tokens because we'll be backing against different type of asset pools. So that's what people will start to understand. And I think the terminology token will make it easier for people to understand because they're suddenly, they're moving away from the word coin and, you know, cryptocurrency. So currency and coin make people think of the US dollar and how it compares to the US dollar. So automatically in your head, you're thinking, well, I understand how fiat currency, well, you don't actually understand how fiat currency works, but you understand the perception of fiat currency. I've got this thing and I can change it for a value of goods and services. And the, suddenly this digital version of this money is coming in. that has got a value that I can still do this, but I can't really understand it. Suddenly this tokens are going against assets and you realize there's lots of assets. So you're you suddenly straight away, you stop thinking about it based against coins and currencies which i think is stopped the adoption coming in and then the other thing that's happened is because of covid we were all locked in for basically all these months the government gave us our money and a lot of people took that money and when they were stuck at home were online and they started investing in things like you know robin hood uh, different stocks started investing in cryptocurrencies started using online platforms along came likes of kraken and coinbase which made it very easy for people to start to use, buy into cryptocurrencies and digital assets, because up until now, it was quite complicated to buy into these things. You know, some of these exchanges you were going into list and buy Bitcoin from is quite difficult and complex for people to use. So they couldn't understand. So suddenly you're stuck at home and then everyone's starting, well, wait a minute, I'm earning money from this. And 
you know, okay, it would create a false economy and suddenly, you know, now we're in a bit of trouble off the back of printing all this money. But ultimately what's happened is the adoption of the technology and this adoption of the digital world, you know, COVID sped it up by five years, I think. Because up until that point, you know, I remember going to McDonald's. I remember it was, I remember we were all locked in. I was, and I was like, you couldn't go anywhere. And then McDonald's was open. So it was like, where can you go in lockdown? You can go to McDonald's drive through So it's like, that's the only thing you could do. It's a massive queue. The kids yeah. were going to go out, everybody. We can go to the drive through You drove to McDonald's, which is like probably one of the biggest companies in the world. Everything's there. Everything's branded in their way. And then someone had written this sign in paper, you know, please give us your change and stuck it to the, to the, to the window. You know what I mean? It's like, well, wait a minute. There's nothing looks like this ever in McDonald's history. And then they're writing that because they've got no change. So suddenly, and then the next sign is we're not accepting cash, card only, because we've got no cash to, to there. Or we're just going to round it up to the nearest dollar and you're going to lose 50 cents. And they're writing that in bits of paper and sellotaping them to the window, which was like unbelievable. But then because of these types of things that happened out there, suddenly we are now used to digitization. You know, it's just like it's all coming through. Whereby back in 2017, 18, when ICOs were coming up, it was too early in the market space for people to understand that. The technology hadn't caught up. The usability of this technology wasn't there. People weren't happy to do digital money. You know, I mean, people still like cash. You know, if you go in anywhere now, because I work, you know, live down in uh, San Diego. It's really close to the border. There's a lot of people going to do money changing. If you ever go to Walmart, they're changing money. If you go in some of these places, they won't accept $100 notes from people anymore, which is unbelievable. You just think, well, that was the, that back in the old days when you come to America, it was all about who had the most $100 notes in their wallet. You know, even if you only made 800 a month, you keep it all in hundreds in your wallet because that's what the, the American way was. Now, if you go into a store and give them a hundred dollars, like we're not taking that. That could be dodgy, you know what I mean? Nothing over twenty. Nothing over twenty these days. It, it's just like it's it's just gone. That people need to understand that, that you know that, that because of COVID, the world's fast forward into digitization, and then this tokenization process is fast forwarded into it as well. You know, and I think that's what's so interesting about what's happening in there. And then, you know, we, we speak about guys like Darren Marble and that is just like, you know, I went to see his presentation. I'll just tell the story because it was like, when I went there, I knew about reggae, I'd read about it and stuff. And I remember being in this presentation, it was 200 guys in the room and it was like, hands up, who knows about reggae? And I was the only guy put my hand up. And he sat and did this presentation about reggae. And then I went up to speak to him. And it was the only time I've ever met him face to face. And I said to Dan, I said, should I do this reggae thing about this doing that? And he just goes, listen, everyone's swimming this way. My advice for you is you swim this way because this is the future. And he yeah. just, just started. And it was yeah. just like, and I remember, I still remember the conversation. I went and wrote my reggae myself the next day. And then it just basically got an SEC attorney involved in that to check it all and just start doing that. And then, you know, it just, it's now we're into a process whereby all these ATSs are live, all these things are coming out. And it's still just at the beginning. That's the thing that people need to realize is that this stuff is just, it's like you say, Ron, you know what I mean? It's just at the beginning itself. Which is yeah. And, you know, you talked about COVID and, and forcing us into technology. Uh, you know, pre-COVID, who knew about Zoom? Who knew about these video conferencing that everybody does now? Now it's second nature. But it wasn't that way when this thing started. CEOs had to learn how to, you know, use their, their laptops, basically, to do presentations. And, uh, you know, you're right. Technology just 
just went so far ahead because of that COVID thing. And yes, it got into this tokenization. But let me let's just circle back to a point that you made before that I think is really, really important that people have to understand is the difference between these ICOs and the STOs and why, why these, these um, projects are backed by real assets. A lot of people got screwed on ICOs because they just kind of put it up there and said, okay, invest in my coin. And the person who was running the whole ICO could have just got up and you know, next thing you know, they're on a beach in Costa Rica somewhere. Uh, the difference is with these S with this, these STOs and these asset backed uh, plans is that you know the SEC does get involved and I hate to, I can't believe I'm going to say this but the SEC is your friend on things like this they they you really should be thankful for that that part that these have to be qualified and it gets back to the whole thing about is it a security is this process a security and and so many people want to pretend that it's not. But if you look at the whole thing, it's all defined by something called the Howey test, which means like if you're making money on the efforts of somebody else in a passive way, you're probably looking at a security. And and these guys who are doing tokenization projects, they have to understand that that uh, you know you don't want to get on the SEC's bad side, and uh, certainly not as a as an issuer. And from an investor, you should understand that too. You should you should make sure that your your project is backed by something. And, and tokenization allows you to do that. And we talked about it already. Real estate in particular, a great thing. But you can tokenize anything. Any real world asset can be tokenized. Art can be tokenized. I mean, they do it everything. And like you mentioned before with the NFTs, boy, you know, is there an NFT for everything right now? Seems that way, right? Yeah, I think, and I'll bring up that point there for Garrett is to let people understand. Because a lot of people know what utility tokens are. Because essentially they're their form of cryptocurrency. But if you explain to people what a utility token is right now, Garrett? Uh, yeah, utility token is very simply something you can use for something. Um, you know, it, it, it powers a product or service. It can be exchangeable for, you know, an action within that service. Um, and that's, uh, you know, one, one of the most important things. I think, um, I think, there's a, a different dimension to it, though, at a very core level. I mean, not even considering I, I think people created these boxes, you know, that the, the first time I heard utility token or security token was 2017, 2018. People were trying to, like, put it in a box and feel like, oh, no, I'm a utility token. I think the reality of it is, is that most tokens nowadays, it's very, um, you know, with the automated market makers, it's a lot more simple to just see, you know, if there, you know, is the option to exchange the token for something that can be exchanged for US dollars or to exchange the token directly for maybe a stable coin. You know, the opportunities are really limitless for that. Um, whereas I think five years ago, it was a little bit more polarizing and it was like, oh, well, like, you know, is there going to be liquidity on this exchange that they listed on? When now it's all protocol based, and I would say most tokens are in some form backed by Ethereum. Like if they go out there, they're backed by Ethereum and you're able to exchange them back into the pool and, you know, you get, you know, your Ether um, or you could exchange for a stable coin. But um, I remember these two little boxes and it was just the fact of the matter was is that many people... Um, you know, we're, we're trying to fit the uh, mold of a utility token and then came about. And I found this very, very interesting um, with Coinbase because uh, Coinbase, this is I wish I, you know, I'd, I'd bring up the email. But, 
you know, I, I emailed Coinbase to see what the listing requirements were. And they outright said on there, you know, things have gone down such a path where things are very um, different, you know, different, the meme coins and stuff. I'm not sure where you even fit that because obviously, you know, that's, that's something entirely different, but Coinbase won't list your coin. They don't, they don't care if you have all the paperwork done, whatever you're registered as an STO or something like that. They, they don't care. They want the team is not visible. That is their words, not mine. They said, Oh, we will only list your token if the team is not visible. Coinbase said that. <laughs> yeah. So it's taken a it's taken a turn towards you have things that are becoming multi-billion dollar projects. There's nobody, nobody's the face of it. You know, there's nobody essentially, you know, who you're gonna go after for Doge or Shiba Inu. They do nothing. They do absolutely nothing. And, you know, people buy them speculatively. It's kind of like tulips, you know. So um, I do think that, you know, what I, I think is probably likely to happen is, you know, they really have to rein in these companies like Coinbase. I, you know, if I had the email handy and I didn't have to dig for it, I think I sent it to Alistair once because it's such a joke. You don't get sued, by the way, by Coinbase, you know what I mean? So let's not release that email on the... On the yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's any secret, you know, how they choose to operate. And it's, it, it, uh, but then the problem is that you can't list security tokens on Coinbase or by Bingo. Yeah, bingo. So, you know, so they, you can't let if you got a security token, you can't list it there. So they want a utility token and then they want you to. So if you're trying to list on Binance, which is yeah. probably the biggest one of the biggest exchange in the world right now, if you list yeah. in there, yeah, oh yeah, we'll list it. No, that's a security token. Why don't you change your thing to make it like this? Is it a utility token? And if you go and ask anyone who's a securities lawyer, they're going to tell you that's a security, just as Ron said earlier. You know, that is a security. It's not a utility token. And therefore, the minute it's a security token, you can't list it on Binance. You can't list it on Coinbase. You can't list it on Kraken. So suddenly it's like the cryptocurrencies and the utility tokens. And then it's becoming this gray area of like, what is a utility token now? You know, what are you actually using it for? where it becomes a stable coin. It's just like the stable coins can list, but even then stable coins, because of what's happened with Terra and that, it's like, that's even yeah. more difficult. It's like, who's going to trust the stable coin now? You know, and so it's going to be, I don't know who's going to trust the stable coin right now until like you got big guys back in it. So it creates this gray area. And that's whereby these ATSs, which essentially have only really started to come live and start to work now. I know the guys from the, the STO show, they are doing their security uh, token on Securitize coming up as well. So, you know, that's good because these guys probably the leading marketing guys in the space as well. So, you know, good luck to them with their raise and what they're doing. But they're bringing a lot of uh, sort of, you know, eyes to the market space. They've got a huge following. That'll bring it to the market space. And, you know, and that'll help a lot of people come into it as well because, you know, these guys are the sort of leaders in the space in terms of marketing. They are now doing their own sort of type there, and it's going to be listed on Securitize. So, so that brings opening up to the market space. But then it creates this confusion of, well, the only tokens I've known up until this point are utility tokens. So why is this security token different? But then again, it comes back to, as you say, Ron, it's just, you know, no one knew what an NFT was before COVID. 
Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, that was it. No one had a clue. Now suddenly Snoop Dogg's basically owns twenty five million dollars worth of NFTs. You know what I mean? So it's like, what's well, in, you know, what is it? And, and Alistair, if I want to, I can uh, I can I can NFT this coffee cup that I have right here. I mean, that's you can do anything these days with this. But um, you know, I, I had a big big time trouble understanding the difference between utility tokens and tokens as well. And somebody somebody told me like, well, okay, Ron, you're from New York. Um, you know, when you when you go to the subway. And you want to put you put the token into the turnstile. That is a utility token. That's that's the same thing. The actual physical token allows you entry onto the subway. That's a good way and, to put it. Mm. Yeah, and the uh, the entire New York City transit system is your is your token basically. So that's that's how I understood it a lot better by a simple example like that. And sometimes you just need simple examples to to teach people what. The differences are in a lot of these yeah, things. Exactly. So you know, it's, it's a bit like people understanding, uh, you know, fungible token, non-fungible mm -hmm. token, fungible tokens like the U.S. dollar because it's interchangeable. If I had five dollars, Garrett had five singles. We know we can swap it like for like. But an NFT is a non-fungible token, and therefore it's not interchangeable. But what's interesting is because of platforms and using of Ethereum and Bitcoin, etc., you're now got a medium of exchange, so people can actually use this for a uh, you know, putting value to it and ex exchanging back and forward. So that, you know, that brings a bit of a, a overview of that part of the uh, market space as well. So in terms of Bitcoin operating behind this, Garrett, because everyone wants to talk about Bitcoin operating with the economy. How does Bitcoin fit into these types of utility tokens, security tokens, and for people to understand, because a lot of people just understand Bitcoin. They just think crypto, it's Bitcoin. We're trying to educate them. So give a bit of background how you think Bitcoin's created this market space and then how's Bitcoin, Bitcoin interchangeable with this? Yeah, that's a, that's really an awesome uh, thing, you know, because it's like if you look at Bitcoin and you look at the origins of that, uh, you know, what this really provides is it provides a backbone to the rest of the crypto economy. And it, it is like, um, you know, it operates in a way where it's uh, I, I like that a lot of the altcoins and whatnot are built on top of platforms like Ethereum. They're built on top of separate platforms, making Bitcoin essentially very, very traceable. Um, that was not always the perception of it, but. Um, that was something I knew from very early on is that it is very traceable. Um, and, you know, the reason for this being um, is that, you know, unlike Ethereum and these automated market makers that happen on chain, <laughs> um, you know, we, we find that Bitcoin is going between centralized exchange to centralized exchange, making it very traceable. You know, you see where the, you know, somebody is putting in dollars, you see, you know, you, you, the whole thing, the exchange mechanism of Bitcoin is all handled by, you know, centralized individuals that are selling it for dollars. You know, so all of the points that it's sold for dollars, except for very small, small use cases where somebody, you know, goes on local Bitcoins and exchanges cash and somebody sends them Bitcoin or hands them like an open dime hardware wallet, you know. That those are very small use cases. The billion dollar transactions actually happen somewhere where it's very easy to regulate. It's very easy to hold the entity accountable and it's very easy to treat them like an exchange in a regulatory sense. Um, so that that's the 
the pro to Bitcoin is that um, and then also the fact that um, it, it has been said, it's been spoken, you know, by every regulator out there, the SEC, CFTC, that it is a commodity. Um, I do think that there are likely some other areas in the crypto air space, you know, that would be considered commodities. But the, the one that they have, you know, the pulpit has spoken. It is a commodity. That's Bitcoin. So, um, you know, we have that to kind of uh, anchor all the rest of this. And it works almost like case law, you know, being able to point and say, well, Bitcoin operates this way. It has these these qualities and it has been deemed a commodity by the CFTC and the SEC has also said they respect that. Um, using that as case law and saying, well, you know, if that is if that holds true, then, you know, it's like a program. <laughs> if then, you know, maybe something else could be considered a commodity or maybe something, you know, depending on how you structure it. Yeah. And then for people to understand a little bit more as well, just pop out Ethereum there. So yeah, they're the two main ones. So explain a little bit difference in how Ethereum is operating to Bitcoin and then how Ethereum is the backbone of all these future tokenization market spaces. Well, it's very interesting with Ethereum um, because Ethereum, um, you know, I, I took the, you know, the guy that runs the SEC right now, I think they call him like the chairman, Gary Gensler. I took his MIT course. I've been through it all. And, you know, he goes into this in depth. And one of the things I think was funny is during the course, he said, oh, Ethereum actually was grouped in with Bitcoin. They, they grouped it in as a commodity as well a couple of years back. Um, and he said, well, I believe it started as a security because there was a crowd sale. People were pooling money in together. You know, there was people like Joe Lubin, Vitalik, you know, Lubin got a lot, a lot more than people think. And they essentially were, they had these tokens, they were selling them to people, they got dollars to fund this project and build Ethereum. Now, over time, he said in the course, he's like, oh, well, it, it, it's changed. And now, you know, it's, it's likely a utility, it is not a security, it's a commodity. And that, that, that seemed to be the polarity shift is that something can start as a security and then become later on a commodity based on, you know, based on that was a CFTC ruling. Now it's interesting, a couple of weeks back, I see him backpedal and say, you know, as SEC chair, the course was way before he was SEC chair. Now I see him backpedaling and saying, well, Bitcoin's the only one that we here at the SEC say is a commodity. We agree with the CFTC, it's a commodity. And, you know, we, we have to figure out maybe where Ethereum and all this other stuff fits. And I think the reasoning for that being is all of the stuff that ends up being built on top of Ethereum. Um, not necessarily going back to the origin story. I think um, by now, I mean, I'd like to believe that the, the tokens are equitably distributed. You know, it's Lubin isn't sitting on a massive pile anymore, but you really never know. I mean, it's... <laughs> Um, you really never know. So, uh, isn't that the issue with uh, with an XRP? Aren't, aren't they having some problems with the securities? Uh, XRP, yeah, that's another interesting thing to bring into the to the mix here. Is that XRP? The the argument with them being is um, that you know that the argument from the SEC is that it's a security, and then they've been doing an eight year long or whatever how long they've been out unregistered security sale in the United States. That's what the allegation is. Um, 
you know, truth be told, I, I'm not sure how much longer that could drag on. It's amazing to think it's been almost two years. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they on one hand have the they have the financial artillery to continue fighting it to the very end. Of X, uh, I can't remember what they call it. XRP labs, I think. And that will be potentially the most important piece of case law in crypto history because it's essentially, you know, whatever it is, you know, XRP labs versus the U.S. government, whatever the outcome of that is, that becomes essentially the new Howie test, <laughs> you know, the, the ripple test, if you will, probably is what it will be called. Yeah, you know, and going off of that framework is where, you know, going forth, everything going forth, either the SEC, you know, you know, wins big and, you know, they that's what they point to is always it's it's a ripple. It's a ripple. You know, you did you do the ripple test and then and, you know, it sounds like a great test to the ripple test. It's like you tap on the water and, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, you know, surface tension or something. But um you know, I see a lot of opportunity there for XRP, though, because it seems like there have been there has been some evidence that they brought to the table because they did go to the SEC when they started the project and they did they did kind of ask permission. And that's their argument is like, well, we came to you, you know, when uh, I can't remember who the last guy was, Jay something. It was Jay. I don't remember what his name was under Trump. And then they came even before that. They came under like the Obama commissioner and they asked like, hey, can we do this? And they're like, uh, not sure. We'll get back to you. And eight years later, which is how they work. That's how they work is, you know, that's, you know, they, they give stuff time and um, that's how it works. But with, uh, with the XRP, it's going to become case law. And, you know, you can't speak right now as to like what that's going to be. It's in the future. It's a future tense, you know, like when it does happen, though, that is going to be what's pointed to in every case that ends up being something starts in the United States. Um, and, you know, XRP, they're trying to, you know, go offshore or whatever they said. They basically have said, yeah, if we lose, yeah, we're just going to go offshore. But um but still, I think that's so limiting to the U.S., all the U.S. people that bought this because it's like, you know, I had some XRP, you know, and it's like I had a little bit of it. And it was like, you know, if it just becomes thanks to the regulators. Now it's like worth nothing. You can't even trade it on any. I can't even get dollars for it. <laughs> Me as a consumer. <laughs> so it is thanks to them. You know, it's like before any of that, it was like, oh, okay, I can go to Coinbase or I can go to wherever I can get dollars. But now uh, it's crazy. But yeah, you know. it's Yeah, it's just interesting stuff. We could talk about it all day. But uh, oh, yeah, right. time's marching on. So we'll go to the final part of the show, Ron, where it's called it. Yeah, let's cuts, get so uh, Boris Johnson on there. Yeah, we, we saw him in earlier, so let's bring him to the stream right now. Here he What's is. What's he doing now? I'm not sure. This is this is his new job after resigning earlier today. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. he quit. What are you yeah. kidding me? He quit. Yeah, he had to resign today. So after 60 MPs resigned yesterday, including his new cabinet, some of them were actually in cabinet for less than 36 hours before resigning. But eventually, he had to resign. So today, Britain is, but he's resigning, but he's still the prime minister. So he's resigned, but he's staying as the prime minister until they vote for a new prime minister. 
So for people to understand the sort of British system and politics is they have to have an election every five years. The government can call an election at any time during that period. When there's a vote of no confidence in the prime minister, usually that's when they have another election. But if you've got a majority, which the current conservative government have, then they can just have an internal vote and they don't have to go and have a general election and they can just vote for their new party leader. So that's it. Boris is finally gone, guys. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm wondering where we get uh, who's going to be the next one. Yeah, wasn't wasn't Boris considered the um, their their version of Trump? Didn't someone say that a while back? And yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I've got I've got this video right. It's a bit of yeah. a beauty. This is basically this was prior to him going there as well. But if you have a look at this, let me. Oh, this is him. This is look. This is him playing rugby. Watch him in Japan. Watch him nail this little kid right here. Oh. <laughs> Right here, it's just slow motion. The kid's only a 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's pretty embarrassing, really. He obviously played rugby because he went to a posh school. And then he, he, now he's playing soccer, football, we call it in the UK. He's up to something again there as well. He was uh, he was very much seen as a sort of Trump type guy. Like he's got the suit on, even though he's on the zip line. <laughs> he's an absolute clown, basically. I say this respectfully to our Chinese hosts who have excelled so magnificently. Oh, boy. ping pong was invented on the dining tables of England. It's funny, at that video, he really kept his hair together a little bit better at that point in time. <laughs> have the essential difference between us and the rest of the world. Other nations, the French looked at the dining table and saw an opportunity to have dinner. We looked at the dining table and saw an opportunity to play with one. And that is why, that is why London is the sporting capital of the world. So, so, oh, so, let me to take this off. We're getting oh, Grant Cardone jumping in on the yeah. ads. You can't, you can't get rid of Grant Cardone. He's everywhere, you know. So, yeah, so that was Boris gone, guys. So, you know, now he's back to doing a bit of busking. Well, he's not really, though. He'll just be involved in everything. So it was, uh, but that was some of his best moments when he was prime minister. Some of it was before he was the prime minister of the UK. I didn't see how he after my uh, Tuesday night bowling league. So he'd, uh, but yeah, he, he got Britain, he did the Brexit. So that was his big push to get uh, Britain out of Europe. It's, uh, if looking back in time, it's not been the best because of COVID and everything else that's happened. It means inflation's higher in the UK than other parts of some of Central Europe. But, you know, ultimately, that was his agenda. He pushed it. He was involved in multiple scandals that he managed to, to ride through again and again. One of them was Partygate, which was uh, the big thing in the UK, whereby he came out and told everyone they're not allowed to have a party, they're not allowed to visit relatives, they're not allowed to do anything like that. And then the following day, he was basically having a giant party at uh, uh, 10 Downing Street. And but he said it was okay because it was bring your own booze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Alice, like I say, though, I mean, you, know, the, you look at the uh, England, you look at the United States, all over the world, and everybody thinks everything is horrible and everybody's crazy. And there's all kinds of 
ridiculous things going on. But really, when you think about it, like we are actually living right now, today, in maybe the best time that we could ever hope for as as uh, as as, as, as for saying one. We have all this information at our fingertips. We can do whatever we want. It is really, really a great time to be alive. And people just like, oh, my life is so bad. I got all this problem. I got people don't understand how good they have it, in my opinion, at least. Oh yeah, it was. You're you're looking back a hundred years, back to the early 1900s. It was like difficult time for people. You know, so many women died with childbirth, technology, medicine. Everything was very, very difficult in terms of people being able to live there. Right now, with you know, I know people like bash the pharmaceutical companies, but the bottom line is, if you get sick, you go see the doctor, and you're hoping the doctor's going to give you something to live. And the older you get, the more you rely on pharmaceutical products. You know, it's not like a thousand years ago, or you're going back, you know, <clears throat> a few hundred thousand years ago when we were all living in caves, etc. You know, ultimately, your uh, people are dying at twenty years, twenty-five years. It's just like now we're living to like late seventies, early eighties, and it's also the quality of life now as well. It's not just the case of because it wasn't long ago when you were retiring at sixty, sixty-five. That was basically seen as that's it. You're you're on your way out. <laughs> you know, if you see pat, oh, well done, sixty-five pat in the back. There's your pension. But now people keep working, they keep living, people get fitter and fitter. You see people, uh, you know, everything about life right now is a good time to live. I think it's people get too hung up. You know, you sit and watch the media all the time. You know, these things are in loops. You're on social media. So suddenly you're living in echo chambers of news and information that's coming to you. You don't have that curiosity to go out and realize that and realize the opportunity people have right now. And I think for a lot of young people coming out, they think the world's a disaster, but ultimately you're 100% right, Ron. It's never been a better time to be alive for people, you know, and I, yeah. I 100% believe that, you know, and I've got uh, my oldest boy, Malachi's autistic, and with, you know, special needs and the te uh, all the technology that's coming, all the specialists, all the therapists that can work with him and help him going forward. It's helping people in so many ways in life right now. And I think people are just, they, they just, they watch too much of the news. It goes from one disaster to the next disaster and you think your life's all over. But ultimately it's not all over. And, you know, I, I, mental health's the next thing that people are going to start to focus on, but we're helping people with mental health a lot more than we are before. People are starting to understand mental health more than any sort of physical disabilities. And that'll be the next challenge for so many people. But, you know, and going forward, we're just living longer and longer and longer, and the quality of life's improving. You know, and you get into your 70s and you still have a, a really good quality of life. Into your 80s, I was actually watching a program yesterday, came up, and there was, there was a guy, was, uh, he's been running marathons, and he's just turned 100, and he just ran a marathon. And he started running marathons in his 80s, and he owns the world record. I wish he got his name, actually. Was, and he started doing, like, he's doing multiple marathons. He started his first one in his 60s, broke the oldest, uh, the fastest guy in his 80s, and then running marathons in, like, 95, 96, 97. And then he's going to do a marathon when he's 100, which is, like, it's just, you couldn't fathom that even 20 years ago. It's like, how could someone run a marathon when they're 100 years old? But this guy's doing it, you know? So it's it's amazing, you know? And I think people get too hung up in politics and too hung up and, you know, hate your neighbor because the government's cocked up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not your neighbor's fault. It's just going to work, you know, paying their taxes. Not just because he votes a different way from you. You don't have to hate them. You know, go to school together, all that. 
That's the government's trick, though. In the media, working in cohorts, it's just like, it's not our fault, it's that guy's fault, you know? The guy that lives next door with you for 20 years, you know? How is it his fault? Just don't just don't self-diagnose yourself on WebMD. Don't be convinced you're dying. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's the other thing. WebMD, you know? <laughs> My uncle's a doctor, and he, he said to me, he says, uh, what do you say? Don't discount my uh, 10 years of medical training and 25 years in the medical practice for your search on the first page of Google. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think that's what people need to realize is, I know a lot of people don't trust their doctors and that, you know, but if you get really sick, you trust them. It's as simple as that. You're not going to sit there and die. You know what I mean? You're going to go in and see the doctor and that. So it's, it's always like that, especially you get older. But I think a lot of people are thinking of their health now anyway. So it's good that people are understanding to, to get healthier, fitter, you know, realize the problems of blood pressure. I know me and Ron both play golf, so it's good for us to get a bit of exercise. Obviously, the blood pressure goes up if you're playing bad, Ron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw the old, smack the old club down and stuff, you know. Unless you're part of the LIV golf tour, Ron. What do you think park, of those guys? Park far away from the golf course when we're playing. Exactly. So that's another thing that like it's it's amazing that LIV golf. We were speaking about this the other week, Ron, the LIV golf tour guys. It's like they're getting an absolute roasting in the media right now. You know, is it deserved? I think the problem is it's like they should just come out and say they're doing it for the money, you know, and no one's gonna blame them. You know, I mean two hundred million dollars to play the upfront fee. Well, but, or how about Alistair, how about how about tokenizing the entire tour? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, and then Saudi Arabia is making a big effort right now to change their brand abroad. You know, their their public investment fund that they're looking to invest in different things. They're looking to change the brand. They're looking to change what they're how they're predicted. Yeah, they've got human rights issues. You know, I get it. But like, who doesn't have some form of human rights issues? You know, you go back here with all the racism problems in America. You go back to the UK in terms of, you know, colonization. You know what I mean? It's like the UK has been involved in doing everything bad for like the past 200 years. You know what I mean? So it's part of a build the colony, put the great into Great Britain and all that sort of capers. You know what I mean? So it's like, we don't seem to, we've, we've seemed to have like moved on from then. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not a problem anymore, guys. You know, we've, we've moved on past that thing. But, you know, it's just like, but, you know, I get that. But then, you know, they can talk about sports washing. They can talk about all these types of things. But, you know, ultimately they're actually trying. You know, I honestly think and the US has to go out there and, you know, Biden was good to give them a bit of a slam dunk back when he got into office when it was $41 a barrel and we're all moving to renewable energy. Now it's $110 a barrel. We've cut off Russian oil. We're running out of supplies. We better get back out to Saudi. So and they're needing to increase production. But apparently they're going to increase uh, production by 200,000 barrels this month, 200,000 barrels next month. So, you know, ideally... Saudi Arabia is going to help the market space in the world. And that's what they've got to do. And, you know, plus we want to create good relationships with Saudi Arabia rather than them just working with Russia and China as well. So, you know, because Saudi Arabia don't care. They're, they work with everybody. So, you know, there's no point just cutting your nose off to spite your face out in the Middle East, you know, and then just everything Saudi's done wrong because we're not helping them and they're, you know, upcoming problems with Iran, which yeah. seems to be going on forever. So, you know, all these political things just go around in circles. And the problem with politicians is they always end up with egg in their face, just like Boris Johnson. You know what I mean? 
he was great. This was great. It was great. We've moved out of Brexit. We've we've moved out of Europe. We're not in control by the Europe. COVID comes along. <laughs> We're better off being back with the European Union. You know, just like how did he know that? You know, in the long run, I think it might help out. But I always believe less government's better. So the thing I don't like about the European Union is it's like another layer of government. You know, so you've got your local government. You've got your national government, and then you've got this European government. So it's like three layers of government. So I agree with that in terms of why would you want to have someone else in Brussels who are completely unaccountable, basically dictating policy for your own country, you know? But the thing that was good about being part of Europe was, you know, the free movement of labor, which was great. So it was like, that was a disaster because suddenly... You think of the problems in America right now, There's you can't walk past the store without having help wanted on there. But because of the cutbacks in immigration and the cutbacks in immigration during COVID as well, suddenly all these jobs that people need to realize there's, that's what immigrants used to do. The jobs that your young Americans don't want to do, Britain was the same, all the farming work, all the work coming in. It was all people from Latvia and Estonia and Romania and Poland all coming in to do these jobs the British no longer want to do. And then Boris Johnson just goes, right, that's his left. All your visas are, you no longer has a visa. Wait a minute, <laughs> there's no workers left, you know, because they don't realize, because that's a false thing that people think about as well, Ron. They just think that, they don't realize that that's who's doing these low-level jobs in the country, you know? So that's why immigration is good. And organized immigration is, because immigrants aren't really coming here to get in the welfare system. They're coming here to work because they can make so much more money here than they can where they're from but usually from war-torn places, you know? Yeah. So, so just to finish off, Ron, if anyone wants to find more information about you, what's the best places to go? Okay, two things. The, the, the podcast is mappableusa.com. That's the podcast website. And the um, we could also reach me on worldtokenmarket.com. And then lastly, uh, Alistair, I just want to make a quick plug for the uh, Tokenization Nation. We have a, a LinkedIn group. Uh, dedicated to tokenization. It's called the Tokenization Nation. You can get to it at tokenizationnation.com. It'll redirect to the group. And we're going to turn that into a uh, tokenization slash blockchain trade show soon to be held in Las Vegas. So um, I want to and thank you. and I are definitely coming to that Las Vegas one, you know? Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, yeah. I, I thank you for letting me be on the show today. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, great for coming on, Ron. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ron. Okay. Thank you. Right. Well, thanks very much for everyone for tuning in for Boom, It's on the Blockchain. That's just, just ran over an hour again, you know. So it's... Uh, oh, wait a minute. We've got one last thing. Technical difficulties for two days, Alistair. There's Vicky coming in the chat. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, better late than never, Vicky. Better late than never. <laughs> so, right. Well, thanks very much again, Ron. Thanks so much, Garrett. And thanks to everyone who's uh, been watching You've been watching Boom, It's on the Blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.